The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are merely an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibility for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast which aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn, our community. Content warning. This podcast may contain frank and graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including instances of rape. These accounts can be triggering specifically for those who have also experienced trauma, especially of a sexual nature. If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue. These conversations are mentally taxing, but they are so important to have. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of the Enough Podcast. My name is Kendra Sheets. I am Rich Gill. And today our guest is Jordan Max. Jordan, could you give us a little information about yourself and kind of how you got involved into the music scene? Um, Hey, I'm Jordan. First of all, thanks so much for having me on here today. Um, Really appreciate it. I got started in the scene pretty early. I want to say I was like a sophomore in high school. I started going to little pop punk shows at this venue in Minneapolis called The Quest. And from there, I just met local musicians. They'd hand out their flyers after the shows or during the shows and, you know, talk to the girls and try to get them to come to the shows. So I met some kids in my high school who were in local bands and... Yeah, so I've just been like a big music lover my whole life. And I thought it was really cool that there was this community of people that, you know, we had similar interests, like not just the music, but, you know, that's what brought us together in the first place. But then we figured out we had other similar interests and commonalities. So, um, so like yeah. Hating I, the government. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, so I was probably about 15, 16 when I first started going to shows. Um, There was this little coffee shop called the Fireball. The Fox Um, Fire. This Fox Fire. There was a Fireball, too, on um, Fireball on Snelling and Larpenter. Oh, really? Do you remember? Yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah, I mean, I I went to the Fox Fire, but Fireball, it was just a little coffee shop. Our Mm. high school friends' bands would play there. Um, it was next to a bowling alley. So it was a fun little like hangout for, you know, kids who aren't old enough to drink yet, but still want to go out and enjoy their social time. That was kind of like the, the golden era of like all ages shows before everything just went to bar shows and 21 plus stuff. Totally. When doors were at five and the show had a 9 PM curfew and I wish we could have those days back. I would love, <laughs> I would love 9 p.m. curfew shows. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say that I know you guys uh, were three states away from where I grew up, but it sounds literally like you're explaining like small town where I basically was born and raised, you know, like under 21 coffee shop, weird little like for rent kind of store where like there's a Friday type show. Parents drop their kids off in the front. They pick them up later. Or like the one person who can drive has like the 15 people in the car. like. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, it's definitely like a Midwest, like pop punk vibe to me. Like everything is the same as like how I grew up too. <laughs> Absolutely. So through this, you know, you said you had met like people in your high school who were in bands and stuff. 
And then did you also befriend like the touring bands coming through? Because no one was really huge in that scene yet. So later in high school, I want to say my senior year um, and maybe the year after that, there was um, a little Mexican restaurant in Invergrove Heights called Taco Toro. And they had a basement that they would rent out for like salsa dancing lessons or quinceañeras and stuff. But my friends, Ryan Tracer, who was in a band called Small Towns, Burn a Little Slower, and um, Eastside Heroes, and then our friend Tony Hogue, who I believe runs a comic book shop now. I haven't talked to him in years, but that's where he was last time I checked. We kind of got together and spoke to the owner of this Mexican restaurant. We were like, hey, can we use your basement for as a venue? Because this was after the fireball closed and our friends didn't really know where to go. The owner, the manager of the of the spot was like, yeah, totally. So we would do shows down in the basement and we actually we would bring in some touring bands. We had um, this band called The Matches who were signed to Epitaph. For a minute they played a couple times there and then you know all the local bands um we had a few more touring bands especially like east coast bands would come through so i helped out with like the booking and the promotion and then you know day of the show i would do the door i'd take the money for you know tickets so that kind of got me started because i'd always had an interest in music and live music especially it's super fun. You know, you see people and just letting loose and having a good time and relating to the music. And, you know, I wanted to be part of that. And like, this was before social media, even when bands had their own message boards. Oh yeah. I remember. <laughs> so that's how we did a lot of, that's how we got a lot of our, our touring bands was just like posting on the starting line website or message board and like the good Charlotte message board and newfound glory message board, you know, like the bigger pop punk acts that the little bands coming up kind of emulated. So that was great. That was really, really fun, really good learning experience. It was very DIY because this was when like before, I mean, booking agents obviously existed, but you know, none of the bands that we worked with were at that caliber yet. After high school, I did tour for a little bit with small towns, burn a little slower. And that was a really, that was a really good time. I learned a lot, but it was also really difficult because I was the only woman on the tour. And this was back in 2006 when it was still very much a boys club in the industry. So it was definitely a learning experience. It definitely kind of taught me to have a thick skin. So um, I'm very grateful for that experience as well. It was really fun. I would have liked to take it further um, and continued on selling merch on tour as like a career. Um, But, you know, just being the only woman on a tour, lots of prejudices, oh, she's only here to sleep with the band, you know, like she's only, you know, like, oh, whose girlfriend is she? And that just got exhausting after a while. So I separated myself from that and went a different route. The comments that you made seem to be kind of coming from exterior factors. So other bands you were with, or maybe people like at the venue, 
Did you have to deal with anything directly from the band or bands that you were touring with? I was on tour with Small Towns Burn a little slower. God bless them. They were like brothers to me. They took really good care of me. They looked out for me. But there was still like, you know, talk to this guy and see if you can like bat your eyelashes and get us some money off of what we owe, you know, or like get us some more money for what we played tonight. Or I mean, we were so broke. We were in a van with a trailer. Like we had our sleeping bags, with you know. Oh, you know, those were the days. Yeah, like <laughs> per diems, you know, stuff like that. You know, we were all young kids in our early 20s and, you know, like girls like musicians. So there were always like girls hanging around who are friends with the band or trying to hook up with the band. So I would get kind of thrown into that circle, too, just just for being a woman. When I was out with bands, I felt the same way where I felt like I was part of the group to them. There was like an underlying knowledge that like I was a woman and that was different than they were. So they were always kind of like checking in with me to make sure everything was okay. But I think they were doing it in like a protective way and not like a coddling kind of way. Outside of that kind of little like cocoon of people, there was like the people who would talk down to you because like you're selling merch. You're not part of the band. You're obviously a woman. So why would you ever be in the band? Except I'm holding equipment and I'm carrying it in with them because I'm helping them out. But like, fuck me, I'm definitely not a bassist or whatever. Yeah, like, because I would get a lot of flack from like security guards, like trying to come in the back door with like, I'm like, I'm holding a tub of t shirts, like I have a Rubbermaid bin of t shirts, like, yes, I'm part of the tour, like I'm supposed to be here. And I get it, they're trying to do their job, but use your brain. One time I had um, a guy smack one of those like low alcohol, like ABV beers out of my hand. He's like, that was meant for the band. I gave a band a wristband. How did you get one? I was like, you gave me one. What is that? Like a 1.2% beer or something? It was mostly water. I was just getting hydrated. And he was like, no drinks for you. And I was like, I've been on tour for 27 straight days. I live with four men in a van. I deserve what little alcohol I could possibly get for free. Like, please, I will lap this up off the floor. I have a few girlfriends who have been touring since then and still tour now. And they say like, it's gotten a lot better, but obviously we still have a long way to go. You had talked about how, you know, you'd wanted to do merch and like tour as a career, but you kind of took this other path. What sort of led you over to this other side of things? Well, okay. So there was like definitely a catalyst moment. I had just gotten back from like my second or third tour with um, small towns. And, you know, this was when people were still having house parties, when people like mm-hmm. named their houses, you know? <laughs> so um, I was at a party and there was this guy there and he was trying to hook up with me. And like, I kept like refusing his advances. And then he told everyone that I hooked up with him anyway even though we didn't. And he was like a tour manager of another band in the scene that the band that I was with was supposed to go out with like on tour. And so, you know, cause it's my word against his and there's like bro code. And so everybody kind of like was like, yeah, we just can't have you with us. Like regardless if it's true or not, it's just drama that we don't want to deal with. They're so happy to have the woman on tour to help get with the donuts or flirt with the guys to get a discount. But the moment you become drama, 
I didn't want to be drama. I didn't want to deal that kind of just left a sour taste in my mouth. And so it was just, it just got very, very exhausting. And I was like, I actually, (laughs) I started out stripping because of that week on warp tour my friends and I were brats and we would get hotel rooms. So I ended up maxing out my credit card. (laughs) Damn it. Warp tour. I know. (laughs) I was like 18. My credit card max was only like $2,000, which was like, (laughs) looking back, I'm like, ha, like that's nothing, you know, but like, but when you're 18, $2,000, you're making $7 an hour at the mall. You're like, Oh my God. So I started working at a strip club as a bartender. And then I started dancing. I found it was a way for me to like, it sounds super corny, but like take my power back. That doesn't sound corny at all. That is super valid. Yeah. Cause like suddenly like I'm in the position of power, like these men are catering to me and So I just, I just completely pivoted into an industry where I feel like women are more powerful than other industries, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Especially now within the last several years, there seems to be a real uprising isn't the right word, but like, there's all this like a renaissance perhaps yeah of like like women having adult film companies and producing their own stuff and only fans like with the sort of advent of that it's not you relying on some like skeezy dude they can't use my sexuality as a weapon anymore because i own it they can't bash me just for being a woman they call me a slut they call me a whore i'm just like let's move on like tell me something i don't know yeah, that's that's really interesting. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way before. We're like, because usually, I mean, what what do they usually come after women for, right? Your sexuality. But if you moved into that industry and you're like, uh, yeah, I dance for money, or yeah, I sleep with people, it's a transactional thing. They know, like, what are they? They have nothing to say. Exactly. I've never thought of that. That's absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> right. I'm just. I'm like, you can't hurt my feelings. Like, right. Sorry. <laughs> So you've been pretty outspoken on Twitter and stuff about sex work and how it's a legitimate form of work, which it is. What is kind of some of the like backlash you've gotten from that aspect of it? It doesn't really affect my day to day. I try to keep myself surrounded with people who share similar views, but I will get the occasional Facebook hater from high school who I forgot was on my friends list coming at me like oh what are your kids gonna think what is your future husband gonna think and I'm just like those those things don't exist right now so I'm not thinking about them I'm living life in the present moment yes I'm planning for the future you know I'm trying to set myself up financially and but I'm not gonna worry about these hypotheticals But again, it all comes back to women and their sexuality or women being viewed as objects or property. Like, what is your husband going to think? What are your kids going to think? As if we aren't sentient, sentient, I don't know, as if we aren't like- Autonomous beings. So, you know, and then there's the whole argument like, oh, she's somebody's daughter. She's 
somebody's mom. It's not just, oh, she's somebody. Like you have to put it in perspective like that for people to understand or, you know, try to get them to relate. Maybe I'm just overconfident, but I haven't really had an argument that I felt like I couldn't win yet. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and I'm sure a lot of it is also just, I mean, both Kendra and I have dealt with this, like just internet trolls who are anonymously hiding behind a non, like a, a gray face avatar who are just slinging shit. Oh, did you see someone made a subreddit about me the other day? I saw your tweet. I posted it. Yeah. I think that means you made it. I know, right? I think, yeah. You're like pretty famous now. Yeah. They were just like this horse face girl, like, like here's her, like view her content for free. Like I'm leaking all her content so she doesn't make any money off it. I was just like, bro, like I've already been paid. Oh, well, you're very strong for being able to handle your own subreddit and read through it without freaking the fuck out. Cause I Thank probably you. would. I did, I did have a lot of friends report it and it did get removed. Yeah. So don't try to look for it. Everyone who's listening instead, look for her only fans at, at Jordan Max with two X's, <laughs> you know, help me, help me buy cat food. She still has that credit card out from those damn warp tour hotels. She needs to clear that debt. Yes. <laughs> So I imagine that when you decided to enter this industry, you've gotten a lot of support from friends, family and stuff. Yeah, my family, my dad, not so much, but my mom, for sure. My mom's one of my best friends. Super awesome. But like, you know, growing up, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. So like as soon as I turned 18, like they didn't kick me out of the house or anything, but it was like, you have to start paying your part. My parents raised me to be very independent in that way. So I kind of told them like, Hey, I'm going to start bartending at the strip club. And you know, my dad wasn't too happy about it. He's real, real rigid Catholic. He goes to church like two, three times a week, which is too much for me. I did that from kindergarten to eighth grade. I'm like, I've gone to church for enough for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. 12, 12 years of Catholic school. So I did the same thing. But no, my mom's always been, she's been like my biggest supporter. She's like, you have to do what you have to do. And you know, you're not doing anything illegal. So like, don't worry about, like, she's always raised me to like, not worry about what other people think of me to be myself to the fullest. So I had like, I have her to thank for the way I turned out, um, just independent and strong minded and strong willed. And, you know, and like, I have a younger brother. So obviously I told him, I was like, Hey bro, I'm stripping at a strip club now. So don't come here with your friends. <laughs> you know, And like the same thing, when I started porn, I told first, I told my mom and I was like, uh, can you tell dad for me? Thanks. And then I told my brother, cause I was like, like, he's one of my best friends too. Like we don't, we don't really talk a lot anymore. I lived with him for the past year through COVID. Um, when the strip clubs were shut down and that's like how I got into porn was because the strip clubs were shut down and I got on OnlyFans and it just kind of snowballed an agency reached out to me. They were like, we've seen your content. We think you have potential. We'd love to sign you. So I talked about it with my brother and he took it really well. He was like, he was like, as long as you're safe, like you're getting tested, you know, people you're filming with are getting tested. 
you know, as long as you're like saving your money, you're not like putting it all up your nose. There's entire subreddits dedicated to sex workers and porn stars and strippers. And we get almost weekly, a newbie will come in and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into the industry. What should I know before I start? A lot of people are like, how can I keep it a secret? And it's like, you can't going to come out eventually, you know, like, do you have an enemy? Because they'll figure it out. You know, like a lot of people who are like, oh, I work a nursing job or I'm a teacher, but I need to make ends meet. And we're just like, I'm sorry. Like it's a risk that you take, which is really unfair. Obviously nurses and teachers, you know, they should be compensated fairly without having to turn to this route. Or to any second job. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like everyone should only have to have one full-time job and be fine. Yeah, it's it's crazy that it's like we entrust teachers to shape the future of the world in children, but we're not going to pay them enough to where they have to get like second and third jobs. Totally. But I do want to say like in defense of sex work, it's been a good experience for me. Um, I have bipolar. So it's very difficult for me to hold a regular job, which is why I like touring and selling merch. We weren't on, you know, a nine to five schedule. It was kind of all over the place. And it was like different every day. Like I've got bipolar, I've got ADHD. So, you know, it kept me in the zone versus like, you know, I worked an office job for a year and it was just, it wasn't for me. It was just so mind numbing. And I found myself daydreaming all the time. A lot of my sex worker friends, a lot of my porn star friends fight a lot of depression and fight a lot of anxiety. And this is just a job that works for us with our mental health. Like if we have to call in sick, it's okay. If we have to take a day off of work, it's okay. It's more, it's really forgiving. I feel like if that makes sense, you know, it does both of these professions. It's not something everybody can do. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to I'm going to jump in a van for eight weeks with four or five or six other smelly, unshowered people. And same thing with the porn industry. It's not something everyone can do. Right. It's not a nine to five. It's, you know, we're our own bosses essentially. So, you know, we have to take control, make our own schedules. At the end of the day, we're just regular people trying to get by, you know, pay our bills the best way that we know how. You know, it's not all like, Louis Vuitton bags. It's like, oh shit, I have to pay for healthcare. You know, it's like, oh, I have to pay for dental work. So it does get glamorized a lot, but it's more normal than you think. And continuing the comparison between music slash touring and um, the adult industry in general, have you come up against any sort of those I I know it's not exactly the same where you're getting kind of, you know, inadvertently criticized or at least kind of ostracized for being a female in the music sect of things. Have you had to deal with anyone, you know, talking down to you or treating you in, you know, a dehumanizing way in the sex industry? So a lot of people, a lot of men particularly think that because they are willing to pay for something that that gives them the right to ask for anything like they don't believe in boundaries 
because they're paying. So it's tough, but like a lot of time you have to set boundaries for yourself and you have to be able to fight, like not fight, but like you have to be able to like stand strong and like, you know, fight back and just be like advocate for yourself. Advocate. Yes. Cause no one else is going to do it. Even on set. Sometimes we have an advocate for us. Sometimes we don't, but another nice thing is we also have what they call a no list. So we are able to, you know, speak with our agents and let them know like, Hey, I don't like this person. I don't want to work with them. So it's like the so- anti-writers. You don't want blue M&Ms. You don't want anal sex or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. So yeah, it's nice. Like a lot of people think we're treated horribly. And, you know, unfortunately, some of those voices are the loudest. A few girls have come out and I feel really bad that that was their experience. Obviously, I believe them because, you know, not everything is sunshine and rainbows. But I think it's important to hear like the good side of it too, just to kind of normalize it. It's a job. It's what we do to pay our bills. That's it. Yeah. It's got its pros and its cons. It's ups and its downs. Yeah. Like you're going to have a good day at work. Yeah. You're going to have a bad day, but you know, it seems like sex workers, like sex work is the only industry where People are like, oh, but do you like your job? Oh, you don't like your job? Find a new job. Like, would you say that to a doctor? Would you say that to a lawyer? Like, I feel like the the female facing sex workers are the ones who get those comments. No one's going up to the guys being like, hey, do you like your job? You know, and then if you don't like it, it's probably because either you're not good at it or, you know, whatever. And there's some sort of like, they're finding reasons to be dehumanizing and deprecating to women. Yes. Always, always. Like a few weeks ago, there was a Twitter exchange. My friend Kita, he's a pro wrestler, but he has always been interested in doing porn as well, which is funny because pro wrestling and porn actually intersect way more than you might think. You know, we're all just entertainers in our underwear dancing around for (laughs) people to stare at. If there's a single pull quote to take from this, I want it to be that. (laughs) (laughs) That comparison between wrestling and porn. (laughs) Yeah. But he mentioned on his pro wrestling Twitter that he's like, yeah, if I wasn't wrestling, one of my dream jobs would be porn. And a few people responded and they were like, yeah, I can see how that would be a dream job for a guy. Because women can't enjoy sex. Exactly. So there again, the gender divide. But Keita pulled through and he like quote tweeted and he was like, no, I think if it's a dream job, it's a dream job. No matter whether you're a guy or a girl. I was like, Keita, love you. You're my favorite. So it's cool. It's cool to have like allies out there. I feel like more allies are being more outspoken about sex workers rights and decriminalization of sex work and stuff now. I can't think besides like my mom who barely uses the internet, like, God, I hope she doesn't know what porn is. I don't know anyone besides my mom who doesn't watch porn. We'll just say it that way. But that's only because she probably doesn't know how to like find it. Maybe she would, I don't know. But everyone takes part in it in some way. But when the conversation comes up, everyone's like, oh no, oh, oh no, it's disgusting. Oh, those people in there, they're so sad. But like, you were just pants down, caught in the bathroom with your phone in hand. Like, come on. Right, like- you point with one hand and you jerk off with the other. It's like, 
Make up your mind. That's the pull quote. I want rich. <laughs> yeah. And that's a thing. That's a thing that blows my mind when I get like trolls hating on me. I'm like, well, obviously you've seen my work. So like, I don't understand why you're being mean to me. Like I am doing possibly the most intimate and vulnerable acts that you can do with someone else for a public audience. You know, with the Me Too movement and like women really kind of like getting a voice, like, but at the same time, there's a lot of government regulations who have kind of been going after the adult film industry and, you know, talking about the decriminalization of sex work. Can you kind of just speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So actually, there was a bill passed four years ago today, I believe, either today or yesterday, called FOSTA SESTA which was supposed to be fighting sex trafficking. However, it kind of did the opposite of that and just drove sex trafficking further underground because it shut down Backpage and Craigslist personals and stuff like that. Now, however, there are a few legislators. um, I know Elizabeth Warren is one of them and Representative Ro Canna from, um, he's from the Bay Area in California. They are trying to get a bill passed now to study the effects of that because government hasn't caught any sex traffickers because, you know, they shut down their main means of communication But there's a big difference between decriminalization and legalization. And I don't think enough people know about that. So like, for example, legalization, like brothels. Legalization, like you have to register to work at these places and you have to get tested, you know, which is a good thing. Not knocking that at all. But it also, legalization controls when and where and how you can work versus decriminalization, which just, it just decriminalizes anything, everything. Like you can just kind of, you can work on your own. You can work with a manager, AKA a pimp. You can work at a brothel. You can work with other women and the government's not telling you like when, where, how, which is good. We prefer decriminalization because a lot of vulnerable communities are sex workers lots of LGBT, LGBTQ, lots of immigrants who don't have their citizenship that are just, you know, just trying to make it. And decriminalization also protects sex workers more because if you get attacked by a client or if you come across this thing, like a per, you know, someone who wants to harm you, you can go to the police and you can say, hey, this guy raped me. This guy attacked me. The way it is right now gives these men a lot more power versus decriminalization would give the workers more power and abilities to like organize and, you know, set things up in a favorable way. And there's still a lot of stigma that we're kind of fighting against. So, you know, until that stigma, until it kind of gets normalized, I don't think things will really get that far. But I do think like OnlyFans and, you know, how popular strip clubs have become in mainstream culture. I think that's a good start to kind of normalizing this and getting conversations started about where we need to go from here. 
Enough is a podcast centering on abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like or subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.